I am Plata on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Joe Dater joins me now. He has just published a new collection of his work, Inked. Cartoons, Confessions, Rejected Ideas, and Secret Sketches from the New Yorker's Joe Dater. It provides marvelous insight as to his work, how he evokes humor in his art, and how it inevitably connects with readers of the magazine. He is one of the New Yorker's most beloved cartoonists. I'll ask him about how he goes about his work, what makes him laugh, and what inspires him. Joe Dater has been a cartoonist with The New Yorker since 2006. He received the National Cartoonist Society's 2018 Silver Rubin Award. He was featured in documentaries for HBO and The Atlantic. He contributes to uh, Mad Magazine and Esquire. Visit joedater.com for more information. This new book is uh, published by Goose Lane Editions. We taped this in late August with uh, Mr. Dater joining me from his home in New York City. Please welcome to the Plant Online program, Joe Dater. Mr. Dater, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning us. where you are. I'm, it's actually uh, afternoon where I am up on the, in New York City. I see. And, and so I've reached you on a Tuesday. Um, as we read in the book, yeah. Tuesday's a busy day for you. Have you finished um, all the work that you've had to do for the magazine, say? Yeah, I met my my deadline at noon today, and I'm I was up most of the night. I'm a little shaky, so I'm just gonna gonna pre warn you of that. I might I might uh, I could pass out at any moment. So. And so is, is that? Uh, um, you'll forgive me for asking some of these questions about your work, but but uh, I'm I'm curious, and and I'm sure people listening is is that 52 weeks a year that you do this, or do you get time off? I'm sure. Well, there's. No, it's not 52 weeks. So sometimes there are weeks where they don't have anyone. They're not looking at cartoons that week, and, and, and we get time off. So it's not, it's not every week, but it's most weeks, I would say. You know, so the, the, the week prior to this one, there was no uh, cartoon purchasing going on. So that was a week off. And, and do you talk to the other cartoonists that appear in the magazine, say? I, I mean, I'm friends with all of them, yeah, and we talk on, uh, we used to talk in person, uh-huh. and now we talk on social media and on computers. That seems to be the trend for most humans, though. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Certainly. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I think it's... Yeah, I do, I do talk to them. I love, I love, like, you know, opportunities to hang out with the cartoonists and trade notes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there used to be a lot more of that. There used to be, uh, like, breakfast uh, and, and of course, there was the cartoonist lunch that would happen after you'd show your cartoons to the editor when mm. it was all done in person, and the cartoonists would all go out to lunch together and, and again, exchange notes and uh, critique each other's ideas and things like that. So I kind of miss that. There's not nearly as much of that as there used to be. Uh, uh, cartoonist Congress, I, I miss it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I, I guess uh, the other thing that I was wondering as I was um, reading the book, it's one of the first pieces in, in the collection. It, it's a, of a guy at a party telling a clown that he's got an idea for a balloon animal. I'm sure you get that a lot, a lot of unsolicited ideas for cartoons. Do you? Oh, very much. That cartoon is very autobiographical. <laughs> um, and that was, I put that in first because my editor suggested I start with something autobiographical and let that be the first cartoon in the book and it's uh you know it's and the clown in the cartoon represents me and a a, a guy saying i have i'm sure you hear this all the time but i have a great idea for a balloon animal and people do 
people do come up to me with ideas for cartoons, or sometimes they'll email me mm. out of the blue. I'll, I'll get an email from a stranger, and they'll say, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't draw, but maybe you'd like to draw this idea. And generally speaking, I would not. Yeah, yeah. Did That's you, usually the case. But before COVID, before before all the the physical distancing, um, would you show up at a party? You mentioned the the, the, the clown getup that the the, the uh, that's depicted in the cartoon. Do you, do you show up with with say your pad or your your pens or your, your pencils? Well, I always walk around when I'm out and about or you know every place. I always have some kind of a of a sketchbook with me. Sometimes it's something small that I can keep in my pocket, uh-huh. or if I have a bag, I'll keep my my full size sketchbook which is you know eight by ten um and i always have that with me um and if it's if it's summer i will actually take sometimes a small very small spiral bound sketchbook and sort of tuck it into the back of my jeans and i always like that because it's like when in action movies you see a tough guy who's got his gun tucked into the back of his jeans (laughs) it's like that's my that's kind of my weapon so i have that you know it's kind of cool that's my one my one cool thing, really. I'm extremely uncool in every other way. <laughs> and I'm sure that that's a, a conversation starter when, when you're on a plane, say, or, or in a restaurant. People say, hey, um, do you do that for a living? Yeah, and I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily think of that as a good thing because the last thing in the world I want is to start a conversation on a plane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not friend, I'm not super friendly on planes. There's a car, one of the cartoons in my book is, of um, Casper the Friendly Ghost, yeah. he's on a, an airplane, and he's bombarding the person next to him with with questions about like where so where you're from and what do you do when what are you going to do when you get to Denver, and the <laughs> caption on that is Casper the intrusively friendly ghost, and that's very much how I feel about conversations on airplanes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, I I have the sketchbook with me, but sometimes I'm far too self conscious to take it out. Mm-hmm. A lot of friends of mine and my colleagues, I see them uh, posting their subway sketches. They'll go on the New York City subway and sketch the person sitting across from them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm far, I'm far too self-conscious to do that because as soon as you pull out a, a, a sketchbook on the, on the New York City subway, people will notice it. And, and sometimes people don't want to be drawn. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm just, it, 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 it's something I was trying to do on the sly or incognito. What so, so um, I've seen videos of you where um, they show your your setup in your apartment, your office, if you will, where you work. Um, let's say you you have sketched something out in in one of your notebooks, and you get home, um, and you you work it out, I guess, on 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 paper. I've interviewed some cartoonists who work electronically, say on a on a tablet or a pad or something like that. Um, you, you don't do that, do you? I do actually. Oh, you and, do. Uh, even though the finished product is point is pen and ink on paper, there is digital work that goes into it sometimes. Because sometimes I'll do a, a little thumbnail sketch of what I want the scene to be, and I'll do that very quickly in my sketchbook. And then when I try to reproduce that on an eight by ten page, I just can't get it right. Mm. Somehow the the proportions of the image don't carry over, and I realize. Um, well, you know, it doesn't make any sense to, to waste a lot of my own energy to try to reproduce that and just and have it not be as good. And so I'll take the tiny little thumbnail drawing and I'll scan it right out of the sketchbook and then I'll go into Photoshop and uh, blow it up full size and kind of 
work with it a little bit, and then I'll print that out on an 8x10 and trace over it to do the finished drawing. So uh, having digital uh, technology, and I have a, I do have a, a, a tablet that I use, and I, I do things in Photoshop, it is very, very helpful, even in doing, even in doing uh, traditional sort of, you know, pen and ink uh, work. Analog, analog work, I guess you uh-huh. call it. Yeah. And so, how does and it? Sometimes there's. Yeah. You know, how does it get well, to? I'm just going to say there's. Pardon me. Yeah, go ahead. There's post production. There's. I'm sorry. There's. I was just going to say there's post production as well. Sometimes after I finish painting or drawing or painting something, mm-hmm. I'll then scan it, and before I hand in the, the finished file, I'll do some digital work on it. You know, I'll do some cleanup or, or change something that needed to be changed. So there's a, there's a lot of. There's a lot of uh, computer involved, even even in doing ink and paint. Yeah, I was just thinking back to the old days. I guess it'd be people people would have to take their their boards down to the magazine, you know, via the subway or in a cab or something like that. And I was just um, worried about, say, you know, you hear these stories of, of you know someone spills a cup of coffee on it or it gets lost or something like that. So so in the electronic age, that doesn't happen now, does it? No. But then it's a little less special, you know, because I used to love going mm. in and handing in my work uh, in person. Uh, that was always kind of kind of fun. Yeah, um, yeah. Within the last you know decade or so, that that's changed. So when I first started, it used to be you'd you'd uh, go in on a Tuesday in person and show your new ideas to the editor, to the cartoon editor of the New Yorker, and they would. Uh, keep the ones they liked and hand you back the ones they didn't like. And then at the end of the week, you'd find out which one of those uh, sold. Uh-huh. And then you'd have to do your finished art and then go back, usually on the following week, with the finished art to hand it in personally. And I always enjoyed that part because, you you know, you're done. You've accomplished something. Yeah. You just get to walk in and go, hey, look, I made this. And that's probably why I do this job because I like I like those three words. I I I, I got hooked on those three words when I was a little kid, and I drew a, a a drawing in crayon, and I got approval from it, and I got addicted to being to the word I made this. Look, I made mm. this, and I've never gotten over that. You know. Yeah. I think we're all like that. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the, um, the covers. Uh, have Have you done a cover? I have not covers. Covers are—they're very selective about covers. Um, yeah, I've—I've uh, I've, I've submitted a few that have never been accepted, um, and that's normal. Uh, entirely, it was entirely expected that my cover ideas would not uh, go through. I still hope to do one someday. Mm-hmm. Say, do you have a say, Joe, on on where in the magazine your work will appear? No, none whatsoever. Um, once it's uh, once they tell you we want to buy this particular cartoon and you clean it up and do a nice beautiful finish of it and hand it in, it's very much uh, out of my hands, and they can do pretty much whatever they want with it at that point. And so I don't have any say with where it appears or 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 when it appears. Uh, and that was something it took me a while to get used to because sometimes you can hand in a a, a, a new cartoon. And they won't publish it for a year or so. Mm. Or they'll hold on to it for months or a few weeks. Or in some cases, I just had a cartoon published last week in the in the in the New York 
mm-hmm. uh, as it were. And it's one that I, I think I drew two years ago, and was uh, it was it was bought two years ago and uh, finally ran. What what do you make you of that? Know. Yep. You really have no control over it. Yeah. What do you make of that thing in the on on the back page where where um, readers can submit, say, their captions? I have a I have a shaky relationship with the caption contest. Uh, I have a little love hate relationship uh-huh. with it. Um, yeah. I was just I was just talking about this with a with a group of people on uh, on line who are avid enthusiasts of the caption contest, and they're just a group of readers. Who submit their captions every uh, every week, and they formed a group to talk about the captions that they submit and critique each other's uh, other's jokes. Mm-hmm. and And they asked me to uh, to uh, join their group and speak to them. And I i I've always had a kind of a, a, a shaky sort of a feeling about it because, on the one hand, I really like it. I like that uh, you know I get to see my work in the magazine. And then it's printed three times. It's printed when they show the initial captionless cartoon that people need to send in their ideas on. Mm-hmm. And then the next week when the three finalists are chosen, it gets printed again. And then finally when the winner is chosen, it gets printed in the magazine a third time. So you get to see your, your drawing in the magazine three times. Um, I also like to joke that I get paid the same for doing half the work <laughs> because I'm getting... The rate I get for a cartoon is yeah. exactly the same if it's for the caption contest. But, of course, that's a lie because I've already... In the case where you see a caption contest drawing, the cartoonist has already come up with a caption for it. Uh-huh. And the editors have said, we like this drawing, but we're going to use it for the contest and we're not going to use the, the caption you came up with for it. Yeah. yeah. And so... But we are going to pay you the same. So, thankfully... <laughs> mail do you get in terms of, of people asking you what what a cartoon of yours means um i don't get i don't get a lot of those uh actually i've had people like write to me and not not quite uh, get a cartoon and i it was never a cartoon that i thought was particularly hard to get though so mm-hmm. i never really understood why they would why they would have a, a, a problem with that i do have a section in 
in my book of cartoons that nobody gets. Yeah, yeah. And I put in a few ones that have some very weird and obs- and odd and obscure uh, kind of points to them. And I had initially had uh, part of that feature was where I had a little paragraph explaining each one. And at the last minute, I decided to cut all those paragraphs out and just let people who are reading the book fend for themselves and figure it out for themselves. So there is a section of cartoons that nobody gets, and I don't. I don't help you get them in the book at all. Yeah, I, I enjoy. I, yeah, publish them as is. Yeah, I enjoyed that section because I, I think out of all of them, there was only one that I didn't get, and then after a while, I thought about it for you know for for a good half an hour or so, and um, then I figured it out, and I thought, okay, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. It didn't make me laugh out loud like a lot of the other ones did, but. I finally got it, which was, you know, which was a fun experience of reading your book because there were a lot of moments throughout the book where I was laughing out loud. And so I was wondering, when you work, how often does that happen to you where you're sitting at your desk laughing out loud? Uh, Sometimes it does. I mean, my goal is always to make myself laugh. Uh My goal is uh, to be honest about my work and to do cartoons that I think are funny, Uh, generally and and that is a great way to approach one's art because then you worry so much less about everything else you're not so you know you're not so focused on how other people are going to react to it because you you you've done something that you think is good that makes you happy um what i find often happens is the cartoons that i submit that that make me laugh the most aren't always the ones that they that they choose if i have a cartoon where I'm sitting here alone at my desk and I'm just giggling like a monkey uh-huh. because I think it's so funny and I think this is this is so funny, it's so good, it's gold there's no way that they're not going to take this one I pretty much uniformly they never take that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the one, the one you think, oh this is so good they're going to hail me as a hero when I go in with this cartoon, no, that one that one just goes right down the toilet. <laughs> what I enjoyed about this collection is that it not only showcases your work, but it, but you, you're so generous in taking us, the reader, into the process of, of uh, what happens as you do your work. Why was it important you for, uh, for for you to give us, the, the reader, the insight into your process? Well, I just enjoy talking about it, and I... And I, I uh... I really wanted to kind of demystify uh, the whole thing, uh, the process. I wanted to tell people not just how it works, but I wanted them to to uh, know the the pain of it. I think I was very I was very influenced when I read uh, Steve Martin's memoir, mm. Born Standing Up. I don't know if you've ever read that. Yeah, but yeah. It's a terrific book. Yeah, yeah. He talks about his career uh, of becoming a stand-up comedian right up until about the time he quit doing being uh, and one of the things he, he goes back to again and again in that book is he talks about, um, he says that he doesn't have any natural talent. And that he got to where he was through determination and hard work. He was able to get very good at what he did. And I was shocked when I read him, read that and read Steve Martin saying that. And, and I was very, I was very, um, was very impressed by that. And I thought I wanted to sort of, sort of do that too. I wanted to show people the process that goes into creating the cartoons. And what I didn't want to do 
was brag and say, look how much of a genius I am. It just, I just put pen to the paper and it just flows right out from me. If you read the book, you'll see it very much does not just automatically flow right out. There mm-hmm. is a, there's a lot of work and there is a process that goes into it. And it's a, you know, it's the old equation, you know, like one, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration, whatever that, what's the equation? Is it, it's 10%, 10% um, vanilla extract, 10% talent, and 30% uh, egg whites. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> I forget the recipe. Yeah. There's, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of um, craft and process. Indeed. That goes into it. That outweighs the amount of talent that goes into it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure people ask you all the time um, how to get a job like yours. And, and I, I, throughout the book, we can see how. Um, and um, at the same time, I, I, do you think it will dissuade people from, from wanting to do what you do? I hope so. I hope it dissuades them because uh, it's, I, I mean, the thing about art is going into art as a, as a profession. It's a very illogical profession to go into, uh, and nobody who is thinking logically would go into it, and nobody who is thinking logically should go into it. Really, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I sometimes talk at, at schools, and I and I say to people, you know, if you're deciding whether to be an artist or whether or not to go to dental school, by all means, enroll in dental school first thing tomorrow. Because if you're sitting there deciding if it's a good idea, it's, trust me, it's not a good idea. It's never a good idea. And the people who don't listen to that advice are the ones who are going to be good artists. So I think I've put everything in the book that I can to dissuade people from, from uh, pursuing a career as cartoonist. And 99% of them will be dissuaded from it. But that 1%, they're going to be great cartoonists. Yeah. You, you suggest in Covering the... 1%. Yeah. You, you suggest in the book that we should be more like Walter, who, who's a character that's appeared in your work over the years. Um, he's a sort of everyman, if you will. Uh, not terribly exciting. Um, who was he based on? Walter is based on a supervisor in an office where I used to work. Um, when I was uh, working in various offices, I would work in a call centers mostly. And he was a guy I knew who worked there. And I just thought he was, he was I just thought he was the most boring man I had ever met in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought he, he, he was a guy who seemed like he had just given up. And, and I thought, well, I, I'm, I'm worried that if I stay in this office, I'll turn into him. So I started just drawing in my sketchbook, and it became a thing where I was when I was doing cartoons, and I needed a kind of a kind of boring businessman type, and I drew him. And he's kind of he's kind of doughy, he's balding, he wears a a very uh, generic sort of a shirt and tie, mm-hmm. and he has a mustache. I always thought the mustache was the saddest part, but his life I thought his life is so restrictive because <laughs> he works this. Regular job, yeah. and he's got this probably this mortgage and these kids to put through college. His life is so restrictive. The only thing he can do to make himself appear more interesting is to grow a mustache. That's the only <laughs> possible bit of his only bit of flair that he can have. And I thought that was kind of sad. So, and I started drawing him, and then uh, I drew him enough that 
over time, he kind of morphed in my head because I thought of him in a kind of disdainful way to begin with, and then I started thinking of him in a sympathetic way. Mm. I think it has a lot to do with me me growing older, and now I think of him as a, a kind of a he- heroic character in a way because he's very much comfortable in his own boring skin. He may be, you know, he may be dull and bland and gray and uninteresting, but he's perfectly okay with that. Yeah. And he is who he is. And that's not such a bad thing, really. Yeah. Do you ever wonder what happened to, to, to the, the guy that you worked with? I'm sure he's still there. Yeah. I have no doubt that he still works there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, kids, kids uh-huh. went through college. I mean, was a I see. job. Yeah. yeah Go off true. and be a cartoonist like a maniac? No. <laughs> Um, one would assume um, that um, your media diet is, is quite extensive, that you're reading, watching, listening to everything. Are you? Well, yes and no. I mean, a lot of times I'm, I'm avoiding uh, the news. Uh, certainly within the last few years, I was actively avoiding the news. Uh, I, I found when I was trying to do topical cartoons uh-huh. and I was consuming a lot of news, I just, got, I just found myself getting too depressed. And it it didn't really work for me as a as a method of working. Uh, but I, of course, I'm a big nerd. I'm a movie junkie, and I'm a person who consumes a lot of media. And so, what does creep into my cartoons a lot are, are references to m- movies and nerdy things like that. And there are references in my cartoons to movies like Jaws mm-hmm. and to uh, John Carpenter's The Thing and uh, taxi driver, and so I'm, I'm I'm a movie junkie, and so media definitely appears in my cartoons that way. I have found most of my my cartoons don't generally come from commenting on the world outside, though. Uh, they usually come from commenting on personal things and things that I've observed in myself, behavior quirks. Um, I find that when I was doing, during the last few years of sort of political turmoil here yeah. in the U.S., uh, I, when I was trying to comment on the political situation and comment on a certain person at the center of that situation, mm-hmm. m- none of the things I did were very successful. And I mean successful in that I didn't think they were very good. Uh, and I realized it was because I was looking outside. I was externally trying to to use my sense of humor to, to attack someone else or to make a point about politics, and it just wasn't my style. It didn't work. So I found when I look inside and I talk about, and I do cartoons about how I'm feeling or how I'm behaving, mm-hmm. uh, my cartoons are much better. And they, and, and that seems to be the way I can work. Um, and my, my stuff tends to be very personal. It comes from mostly making fun of myself. I'm not good at looking externally and saying, oh, that person's a jerk and I'm going to make fun of them in the cartoon. I, if you see a cartoon where a person is being a jerk of mine, mm-hmm. it's because I observed myself being a jerk. Mm. You know, and yeah. that I, I realized that that's actually what what works for me. Yeah. Do, do you have a pet? Not currently. Uh, I have I have been a very very uh, happy cat owner in the past, though. Yeah, because animals uh, come up a lot in your work. And um, 
it's fascinating because I, I never grew up with, with pets, and nor do I, I wish to have a pet. So I, I find it interesting, even as I was reading your, 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 your collection, to see sort of the relationship that people have with them and, and how um, it reflects, I guess, oneself. I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I I actually am a, a, a great lover of animals. I don't have a pet right now. Part of the reason is that I I am single and I live in a small apartment, and I think it would be kind of cruel to have bring a cat in here, and the cat wouldn't really have any place to run around or anything like mm. that. And I know pets cats need uh, at, at right around right around eleven thirty p.m. every night. They need to run a marathon. <laughs> I, I have that. I have that knowledge, and there's not enough room for that right where I live now. So, uh, you know, so I think I think I'll I'll wait until until I move to a larger place, and then I'll who knows what I'll get. Um, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I just find animals are one of those universal things that everyone kind of relates to and understands. And but sometimes the animals in cartoons represent the human beings, mm-hmm. or sometimes they simply are projections of what we think they are. You know, when mostly in domesticated animals where cartoons are about dogs and cats, they're not really about dogs and cats. They're about how we as humans perceive our dogs and cats. Because, of course, we have no way of knowing what they're really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until someday when we can, when we can mind meld with them. And I'd like to be the first to sign up for that. <laughs> Although I, I, it might be traumatic. I mean, imagine spending five minutes inside the brain of a cat. How, how, think how crestfallen you'd be. Like, oh my God, that's what, that's what he's been thinking this whole time? Oh my God. Could be, for all we know, it could be an orgy of violence going on out of their heads at all times. That's true, too, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, this is how I think about animals. I always wonder, like, what what's really going on with them, and I do I do endlessly find them fascinating. Yeah, the um, there's a, a a cartoon in your collection um, of the um, uh, it, it's not called Jeopardy, but it's it's the game show set, which which uh, is Jeopardy, um, and um, the. Uh, the woman got the the answer the the uh, answer to the question correctly, but the points were given to the the person who shouts the loudest. Now everybody's seen that. I've seen that right. um, memed and and put, uh, retweeted and, and shared all over the place. Yeah. What well, what is it like um, when your work is is shared, retweeted, and memed a lot? Does 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 that um, um, you, you mentioned a moment ago you got paid for it once? Um, is there is there any value to seeing it? Shared as it as it as a piece like that was. Oh yeah, there's there's great value. I mean, I do get uh, royal. I mean, as far as money goes, I do get royalties every time it's reprinted uh, officially and you know legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I got royalties for every time it was memed, I would be a very rich man right now. <laughs> uh, that's one of my more popular cartoons. Uh, there's sort of the the excitement of seeing uh, sometimes certain people share it online. Uh, it was uh, before it was even published in the magazine when it was the night before the magazine hit the stand back in November of 2016. Uh, Mark Hamill shared it on his Twitter. Mm. And that, of course, as a big nerd and a huge movie fan, and that was immensely exciting 
for me. And I actually got to have a little nice, nice little uh, uh, message exchange with uh, with Luke Skywalker himself. Wow, it was very exciting for me. Yeah, yeah, it was very. And he's a lovely guy, by the way. Absolutely, just the mensch of all mensches. Uh, that's a that's a word that means a nice man. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's like a New York thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know that. <laughs> so uh, we we have Jews in Vancouver. Yeah, so <laughs> that's right. Of course, it's a major city. Right. Of course. I've been. I was. I was in Vancouver once uh, about uh, twenty five years ago. It's the only time I ever visited Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I was. But I was very young. I was very young, and I was there for the weekend. And I had a very good time. And as a result of that very good time, I have no memory whatsoever <laughs> of in Vancouver. So uh, let's just say it was a, I had a very good time. Yeah. What? Um. Yeah. So I, you know, I I do love to see it uh, shared around. Sometimes it gets changed, and people will add their own new caption to it. Yeah. Some of them have a viewpoint that clashes with my own, and that uh, annoys me. And I've had that. I've done my best to have that taken down from uh-huh, uh-huh. Facebook and places when I can, but it's honestly, it is like, oh, it's like it's like hurting flies. You sure. can't, there's nothing you can do. It's there's there's so many out there you can never track it all down. So, but I've I've done the best I can to protect my uh, my work and it's the integrity of it. But it's a losing battle. It, it's absolutely a losing battle. Yeah, the only other time I've heard a similar sort of case like the, the, the situation like where, where people edit it or, or purport it to be something that, that it's not was Andy Rooney. Um, when email was starting, people would forward um, a, a, a sort of Andy Rooney-sounding column, and, and, and he got wind of it, and, and he was really annoyed by that and, and tried everything he could to, to, to stop that. And 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 I, as I was reading the book, and you you talk about this, I I, I um, thought of of Rooney and and um, just the similarities, I guess, in in, oh, in yeah. how how people take something that's not their own. I know, and and it, what's ironic about that is because I remember that uh, one of those going around, which was a collection of George Carlin quotes, which was of course things he never said, yeah, yeah. Uh, and things he never would have said. And which was being attributed to him, uh, and has been debunked. And of course, what's ironic about that is this is all centered around that cartoon where the name of the game show is Facts Don't Matter. Mm. And unfortunately, it's just gotten worse and worse. Where we have a situation where, uh, where just facts don't matter. Things go, misinformation gets proliferated around, and it's like wildfire. And there's, there's almost no way to chase it down. And even when you, when you are uh, helpfully uh, giving someone the right information, sometimes I find they can be hostile to it. Mm. You know, like when you say to someone, you know, that's fake, actually. That that photo you shared is digital. It's fake. It's not a real. It's not a real sunset uh, on the moon or whatever. And they get angry. They're really mad. They're like, "Well, I want it to be real. Yeah. Uh, I want it to be real." So I don't know what you can do. It's it's, it's almost gotten. Worse in the four years since I drew that cartoon. Five, five years. Indeed, yeah. After all these years um, through your work, thinking about people and and why we are the way we are, um, and depicting that in your work, is there anything that you still want to know about people? I mean, what are you curious about in terms of of why <laughs> we are the way we are? Say. Oh, that's that's a very interesting question. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't. I don't. 
obviously have all, I don't have all the answers. Um, if anyone is going to find all the answers, it is going to be a cartoonist, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, that's one thing, that's one thing I can, I can say for sure. I don't know. I mean, every day I'm, I'm sort of surprised and, and baffled by, uh, by some of uh, the things I see, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm still going to have more and more questions. I don't, I'm not sure if I, I, I can think off the top of my head of one that, what, that still continues to nag at me, though. Uh, I think as, as you get older, you become a more, more and more okay with not knowing the answers. Mm. I think that's really where it, what I, what's more likely to happen is I'm just going to shrug my shoulders and say, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's okay. You just kind of let things, you kind of let things be meaningless. That, that, that's what I envied the most as I was reading the book. I have no talent in terms of drawing, so so. Um, but but I, I I just envied the the amount of wisdom and and how much one can say in in so little a space. You know, and it was so well, that's really the so few words and and you know just the, even the beyond the art itself, which is which is marvelous. Just um, the insight one gains about life itself. I appreciate that. It's, it's that's really the art form, you know. I think that's what we're all, all of us cartoonists are always striving towards. I think what we're all striving towards when, with with gag cartoons uh, is to get at some universal truth and express it in a funny way in a single drawing and one single sentence below it, or even no text below it, or just a drawing by itself. Uh, and get something across that is re- revelatory, of revealing of a of a thing that is universally true that cannot even be denied or argued with because it is so plainly true, and it's usually some insight about human behavior that is that is embedded in the joke. Yeah. And uh, it's a trick when when you when you feel like you pulled it off, you really feel like you've done a magic trick. And I think we're all striving towards that all the time, and we're all so tantalized by that goal on the horizon of coming up with a great cartoon, uh, which I have yet to come up with. Uh, I'm still working on, I'm still working towards my best work. Well, that's great to hear as a, as a fan and as a reader. Um, as a kid, um, I, I don't know if you could have imagined having a career that you have now, but, but it, it, do you think it's, it's one that you would have wanted, say? Well, I think I, I think when I was a kid, I, I imagined that I would be, uh, a comedian, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and I also I could draw, and I loved I loved Mad Magazine, and I loved things like that. So, uh, and I knew I was good at drawing, and I knew I could get approval from drawing. You know, when I went to school, it was one of the only things that people were impressed by. So, inevitably, I became a cartoonist. But I think I was wanted I was wanted to be a comedian. Um, that was always. That was always my thing, and I think a, a lot of cartoonists are frustrated comedians. Mm. Who, you know, wanted to be performers and uh, and turned into, but we're just better at being cartoonists, which is my, the case in, in my case. Uh, so, but I, I don't know. I guess if I if I imagined it at all, I certainly imagined it being more lucrative. <laughs> I think we all, yeah. No matter what, what what a kid wants to do in life, yeah, that's I think what every kid you know wants and imagines, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Up until late, up until far too late in my in my uh, youth, I I didn't think that I I didn't think about money at all. I didn't think about how how I was going to earn a living. I just thought, 
well, I'm pretty talented, I'm creative, I draw, I can do this, there will be a check coming every month for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of government subsidy, you're a cool guy check that's just going <laughs> to come somehow. And, and, and well, we, we've decided, we've looked at your case, and some, some guy from the government will come, we've looked at your case, and we've determined that you're actually quite talented. So we'll be sending you a check every month, and don't worry about it. Yeah. That never happened. No. Yeah. It no. materialized. So when I saw your book in um, your publisher's uh, fall catalog uh, a few months ago, I-, I assumed that there was a Canadian connection. And as I was reading up uh, on you in, in, pre- in preparing for a chat today, you-, you grew up in the Bronx. You live in Queens now. Um, so how did this collection end up with Goose Lane here in, in-, in uh, Canada? Well, I was uh, very lucky that I have a very good uh, agent who was um, looking around for publishers. And he was not just looking at the United States, and he um, made a connection uh, at uh, Goose Lane Editions, uh, which mostly publishes very, you know, highbrow art books. I think I'm, I think they're kind of slumming with me. <laughs> um, uh, but they have published cartoons in the past. They did publish a collection of Lynn Johnston's oh, yeah. For Better or For Worse strips. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, Lynn is one of the giants of, of cartooning. And I was very flattered to hear from her uh, leading up to the book. She wrote a very nice little uh, endorsement for me, and I was immensely flattered. Um, other than that, uh, there I don't I don't have any any Canadian roots. I'm sorry to say, I would be I would be thrilled if I did. Uh, so uh, or any history there, but uh, I'm very happy to be published by Goose Lane, and they've been very very cool and very very nice about the whole thing. And they are partnered with my American publisher, Turner, which mm. is publishing it in the States. I see. Um, well, you did come to Vancouver 25 years ago, so I guess that counts, doesn't it? That's right. And I've also been to uh, Montreal. I've been uh-huh. to Toronto. Yeah. Uh, Toronto was very exciting for me because, of course, my my love of Canadian culture, which I should probably throw in there, was, was Im- immediately uh, came into play when I visited Toronto because I had to go and visit certain certain cultural sites that were significant to me. I had to go and visit the uh, old fire hall, which was the site of the old Second City Theater. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, where uh, John Candy and Joe Flaherty and Eugene Levy and mm-hmm. even Gilda Radner got their start in comedy there. That was, a, that was a, a pilgrimage I had to take. It's now a beauty school, weirdly. Uh, I know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I also... And I also... This is... This is the height of nerdy for me. Uh-huh. You're, 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 if you thought I was a nerd before, this is it. I had to go and see the spot where the cover of the 1981 Rush album, Moving Pictures, was shot. Mm. And that is a location in Toronto, and it's an art museum on the front cover, of, but it's not really an art museum. They made it look like an art museum. Yeah. And I had to go there just to see it. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't know that uh, there's anything anything geekier than that well that's a, the, it, it makes so, a canadian feel good i guess hearing that um but it, as, a, as a huge comedy fan and yeah. a huge comedy nerd i've been kind of steeped in in canadian culture my whole life i mean growing up i i loved sctv uh-huh, and uh-huh. i loved all of those uh, comedians and i remember bob and doug mckenzie from sctv rick moranis and dave thomas I went to meet them at a at a record signing in New York City in 1982, and had my picture taken with them. It's still one of my favorite things 
so I, you know, I believe me, there's 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 a little Canada in me. Yeah. It got in through the side door. Well, you, uh, as I, uh, I hope you know, I'm, I'm a, a big fan and, and a great admirer of your work, and I so appreciate your time today. Congratulations on this book, and good luck with it. Well, thank you so very much. It was really, it was a pleasure talking to you. This was really fun. The website for more is at joedater.com. Uh, the book is called Inked, Cartoons, Confessions, Rejected Ideas, and Secret Sketches from the New Yorker's Joe Dater. It is published by Goose Lane Editions. Its uh, author, Joe Dater, joined me on the line from New York City in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunto.